Welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thanks for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. A blessed feast of Pentecost to you, my good sir, as and we are recording on, a, on this fine Sunday, June 5th, 2022. Um, yeah, it's... Looking outside, it's kind of a scorcher here. It's been a bit of a hot week. Hmm. Um, it's been the opposite here. It's been like cold me, and rainy. Yeah, my watch is telling me it's 84 degrees outside right now, which feels honestly cooler than it did when I was leaving church earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so just just a fun time here. Thankful for central air until I get the bill every month, but mm. we don't need to worry about that till later. Future me can worry about that. Um, So yeah, we are recording, uh, obviously, a new episode. We are here discussing, um, sort of discussing a biblical passage, but not necessarily walking through it the way we sometimes do with with these passages. Um, More talking about the, the way that this passage, you know, is or isn't used, or maybe should or shouldn't be used. Maybe getting into some questions as to what this passage is, you know, intention, what the, what the point of it is and how that should inform the way that we use it. Maybe, uh, maybe all of the above or none of the above. We'll see how the conversation goes, but why don't you introduce, it was, this was your idea to, um, tackle this passage and this topic. So I'm going to let you like actually give the proper introduction to what we're talking about and where we're going to go as we kick off today's episode. So over to you. Yeah, for sure. Well, as you alluded to, we have this fun little segment we do called like weird Bible passages. So this this does not fall necessarily into that. Uh, this is not weird in the way that we usually talk about weird things. Um, however, this passage is used in a weird manner. I would put forth. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying. I'm grasping at straws maybe for a relation to our little weird Bible passage segment. But uh, yeah, we're we're talking about First Corinthians 13. Now, if you are not familiar with the Bible at all, which I imagine that anybody who listens to us probably is pretty familiar, but you never know. Maybe someone snuck in the back door and they're here hanging out for the first time and they're like, I have no idea what 1 Corinthians 13 is. Well, I can almost guarantee you that you have heard most, if not all, of this passage uh, because it's pretty traditional for this to be read at a wedding. If you've ever, which I imagine, again, most people have been to at least one wedding. If it wasn't yours, it was a relative, a friend, a complete stranger. Uh, you've probably even heard it in a movie. Like, even movies like to to use this passage as, uh, you know, related to the vows or something during a, a marriage ceremony. But, uh, you know, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Uh, it's, it's that passage. And it, obviously, in the context of marriage... Uh, marital love, it's important to define what love is, you know, to say that love is patient, to say that love is kind. Uh, And so what I meant by this is used in a weird way is that this passage is not about marriage per se. It certainly applies to marriage. However, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wasn't writing 1 Corinthians 13 with married people solely in mind as though to say, hey, husbands, this is how you love your wife. 
Uh, this is how you should love your wife or wives, how you should love your husbands. Uh, but this passage is in the immediate context of the church. Paul is talking about love between brothers and sisters in Christ, not necessarily just people who are married. Um, and so I thought that that was worth exploring. Uh, I mean, I, I actually had a tweet about this earlier this week. I was reading through part of Corinthians and I was like, man, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has this segment. It's pretty long where he's talking about gifts. He's talking about different different types of tongues and interpretation. He says, one and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. And then the CSB titles uh, verse 12 through... Um, let's see, verses 12 through 31, which is a pretty long segment as well, as unity, yet diversity in the body. And if you're familiar with our podcast, you know that Lucas and I are big on unity amongst diversity. I mean, it's in our introduction every week. Um, and so Paul, right before 1 Corinthians 13, is talking about this unity that the body has despite the diversity of gifts. Just He says in verse 12, for, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also in Christ. And he goes on to say, uh, indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not, do not belong to the body, it, uh, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. So he's comparing, you know, the ear can't say, I'm not part of the body. The foot can't go away. Um, even though these members, the foot, a hand, a finger, whatever, they have different functions and uses, it is one part of the whole. Um, and so he he closes this section on verse, uh, in, in uh, chapter 12, um, by talking about you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Uh, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles, etc.? cetera? Uh, and he says, uh, desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. And then that little bit, I will show you a better way, leads directly into chapter 13. And you have to remember, when Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing it like chapters. Like, those came later. We, uh, in history, to help identify certain sections, we put chapters and verse numbers. Paul was just writing a letter. So the next thing he says is, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um and so the whole point of this episode, after we've already talked for, for seven minutes here, the point of this episode is to talk about love as this superior way, not necessarily within the context of marriage, but within the context of the church. And as I'm sure most of you are well aware, uh, in our world today, and I, when I say that, I know part of that is the, the real world, but part of that is also the social media world that exists. And at least from personal experience, the, the social media world does a very poor job of living out 1 Corinthians 13. So many of us, uh, we, we want to be right. We want to make sure that people know we're right. Um, and so even if it's at the expense of love, we're going to try to to do these things. I mean, I'm just going to read the first three verses um, of, of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, 
but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying, like, you can do many great things for the kingdom. You can, you can prophesy. You can understand all the mysteries and knowledge of God. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're essentially a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And as somebody who plays the drums, I know what it's like to hit a, hit a cymbal and just kind of like let it ring out and clang. It can be pretty obnoxious. Um, and so all that to say, social media has become this place that um, so many of us go to for, uh, you know, funny memes or to talk about sports or music or something. Um, but then when we get to like theology and the church, there are so many noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. And I just figured that was something that was worth, uh, you know, a gentle reminder, maybe a gentle rebuke for others, maybe, uh, maybe just something to keep in mind as you post, as you write, um, because even if in real life, even if in our in our real life interactions with our friends, our parents, uh, associates, people at work, whatever, even if we don't act the way that we act on social media, the fact of the matter stands is we do act a certain way on social media and people are watching. People, people take note of what we say and do on social media. So even though that isn't the quote real world, it's a it's a window into the soul, so to speak. And so I thought, you know, let's let's chat about this. So now that I've gone on for a while, Lucas, I'd like to hear what you have to say. How do you how did you approach this passage as I as I brought it up? Uh, what are some of your thoughts? I think that obviously, like you showed just now, um, there's n- there's no like connection to a marriage ceremony or the marriage relationship explicit in the passage and that's obvious and I don't think anybody would say that there is or or thinks that there is and also it's true that a lot of weddings involve either a reading or a sermon on this passage um I don't have a problem with that like a it's the word of God B it's it's a a pretty important passage for all the reasons that that you've been uh, sharing just now but I guess, like, a question would be, it. what's the, like, and it seems, I mean, maybe this is a pretty obvious question, but, like, I'll pitch it to you. What What's the danger of maybe we, we only read this passage a couple times a year when we go to our friends' weddings, right? Like, what's the potential pitfalls or dangers in not reading this at a wedding, but maybe we could say only reading it in the context of the celebration of marriage, right? Like what, what are some of the, and I think, I mean, maybe just the entire, you know, way that we interact with people through the anonymity and the distance of social media and the ease with which we're able to do that is, is maybe an example of one of those pitfalls, but like, what are, what are some of those pitfalls to to your mind? Not, not to where we should be cutting this out of weddings, but to where we should maybe think about why this if this is the case, um, I'm sure it's different for different people, but what are the dangers of limiting this to marriage or limiting it to weddings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it, the one of, I remember a time when this was preached, and this probably isn't anything that's like unique or anything, but the pastor was preaching on this, not in the context of marriage, which I appreciated. He was reading it in the context that it exists in the text. Um, but he said, what if... 
as you read verses like four through eight, where it says love is patient, love is kind, etc. What if you implanted your name instead of love? Like, so as, as you read that passage, so Jen's or Lucas is patient. Jen's is kind. Jen's does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Jen's finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Um, again, that works in the context of marriage, but it also works in the context of the real world as you interact with the church. And, you know, we don't we don't have time on this podcast to delve into the depths of what was going on at the church at Corinth when this was being written, uh, but it's the same thing that's going on in all of our churches today. We have so many divisions, um, some that are self-created and some that are just, uh, they've existed for a long time. Uh, but for example, you consider the state of the SBC and some of the di- some of the deep and sharp divisions that exist currently, and then you just throw in like, the, you know, this whole report that has come out recently, and you're, you're talking about uh, cover-ups and um, silencing and neglect, and it, it just, man, I don't know if you read that report, Lucas. I didn't read the whole thing because it's super long. Uh, I've read a number of like reviews, and not not review as in like, oh, this was good or bad, but like people who actually read it and gave their opinion and um, helped point out some of the key things. But man, I, I can't. I can't imagine calling myself a pastor right now in that in that convention because it has to be very difficult. It has to be very uh, uh, the, the the congregations I'm sure are very divided, and they shouldn't be. I mean, we're talking about abuse and people who have been mistreated within the church, sometimes by church leaders and authorities. And so I just have to ask, like, if you are a pastor, if you're a member of these types of churches, and this happens in any denomination, not just the SBC, uh, but if we came to this passage. If you came to 1 Corinthians 13 and you're reading this and, and, and seeing that love is patient, it is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't arrogant or rude or self-seeking, keeps no records of wrongs, no joy in unrighteousness, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't know how you could be, uh, I don't know how you could read this and not just evaluate your own life in the ways in which you love people. To, to stop and actually think, are we patient with our brothers and sisters? Are we kind towards them? Are we arrogant? Are we, are we boastful? Are we self-seeking? Man, that just seems like people who are hungry for power or recognition or whatever, money, uh, you, can't, you can't read this and like th- those two things just aren't compatible because uh, to, to, to get to those positions, it, it takes uh, a lot of unkindness, a lot of envy, a lot of boastfulness and arrogance. Uh, but for, for those of us who are, are lay people, for your, your common average churchgoer, um, I think the, the, to, to really get to the heart of your question, Lucas, is like, yes, yes and amen, you should apply this to your marriage. Uh, marriages would do well to have this sort of love just flowing through them, to be patient and kind um, to not be rude or self-seeking, you know, to be to be selfless, right? Um, at the same time, your relationships with your friends, your family, complete strangers, whether in real life or on the internet, we would all, <laughs> it would do us all a lot of good if each of us like read this passage every single day. First thing when you wake up, you remind yourself that you're going to be patient and kind and just selfless towards those that you interact with as you seek to glorify God, as you seek to live the Christian life. 
I mean, that's what this whole, this, oh man, like, read, read the first couple of chapters of Revelation, for example. See what Jesus has to say to some of the churches, <laughs> the churches, or just consider the fact that much of the New Testament is written to churches and to people in churches. I think so often we think like the problems that exist, they're out there, they're out in the world, there are sinful people doing sinful things. But stop for a minute and think, what if Paul was alive today and he was writing to your church? What would Paul say in his letter if he knew you, he was acquainted with you, he knew the inner workings, he knew the problems that existed? What would he say to your church? Because that's what 1 Corinthians is. It's a letter to a church. What would, even more scary, uh, like Revelation, what would Jesus say to your church? I know your works. I know I know what the things that you say you love, but you don't actually live this out. I mean, man, if, if you just wanted to be super convicted this week, and I know all of us really want to be convicted and feel feel that, uh, you know, that burning in our hearts, but read the first couple of chapters of Revelation and see what Jesus had to say to some of those churches and think about, man, does any of this apply to me or my church? Could this have been written to, you know, First Baptist Church down the road or whatever? Um, so that's 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 what we stand to lose if 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 we don't take passages like this seriously uh we don't we no longer exist as as christ honoring churches uh but we are man we're missing out on like the goal of the christian life in a sense uh to to love god and to love our neighbors and so when if you were to ask well what does it mean to love my neighbor Uh, paul tells us pretty clearly right here yeah, I mean, I think I think through all that, it's pretty obvious why Paul calls love the higher way, the better way, compared to um, all these giftings that that the Spirit gives that are for the church, that are meant to be exercised. There, there are supposed to be prophets and teachers and tongues and and all of the other gifts that he's listing in in chapter twelve. Um, it's not that the that these things that people do for and in and and through the church um, communities in terms of worship, in terms of service. It's not that those are, you know, oh, well, they're not the better way, so we should stop doing them. But what he's saying is if I do all these things without love, I'm nothing, you know, like like we read in the beginning. Like that, it's, it's pretty obvious why it's a better way when you look at it through that lens um, of, of what we stand to lose, like you were just um, explaining. And I think that, Another way of approaching why it's a better way or, or, or getting at, you know, what what Paul, you know, on what basis can Paul say that, you know, faith, hope, and love remain. The greatest of these is love. Love is the better way. I can do all these miraculous things, but without love, it's it's worthless. Um, and I think it's because, and, and here I'm going to make an kind of, Potentially wild and out there claim that I maybe haven't thought through as well as I should, but um, if you Those can't are the best do that kind, on the internet, honestly. then no, yeah, do what it. Yeah. good is the internet? <laughs> so um, I, I think that, let me put it this way, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't about marriage, like we said in the beginning. It's not about a certain uh, human relationship that we have because it's actually about the the fabric of all of physical, material, spiritual reality itself. 
And the reason that nothing matters, you know, regardless of how fantastic, spiritual, miraculous it is, and good um, that it is, the reason that nothing can even be said to, to matter without love is because of the role that love plays. And, and love, remember, it, you know, not just some vague understanding of love, but I'm talking about the love that Paul is talking about. We can, we can talk about love as, you know, that which is patient, kind, bearing, enduring, um, not taking joy in, in uh, unrighteousness, et cetera, et cetera, as well as other places um, where we see love described or we see somebody acting in a loving way um, or a way that's described as loving. Um, you know, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, right? So we can, we can look at the context of Jesus's mission and his ministry and his life as an example of the effects of love, right? Like love is what caused that. So love in, in this in this New Testament, you know, context, right? Like love defined as the New Testament does it. Um, is this, this I, I, I want to boldly <laughs> claim is it with very little backing me up is, is uh, but you can't argue with me because this is pre-recorded. So there we go. You can argue with me, but nobody listening can. Mm. Um, but is a metaphysical category, right? If we can, if we can talk that way, and the reason is, you know, think, okay, well, what is you know patience and kindness and enduring and bearing all things and uh, putting others before yourself and not uh, rejoicing in righteousness, uh, <laughs> rejoicing in righteousness, not rejoicing in unrighteousness? That sounds a lot to me like, you know, especially within a biblical context, somebody like Jesus, right? And who is Jesus? Jesus is God. I hope we all agree on that. Uh, we don't, you know, need to hash that out here. We've done that a little bit elsewhere. But John tells us in, in 1 John that God is love, right? He doesn't say loving. He doesn't say God loves. Oh, that's true. But unlike anything else that we we have in the Bible. Love is something that God is said to be. And if God is love, right? Like we can, we can just, okay, just taking that statement without unpacking it right now, we just take it. Okay. So we, we accept that, right? God is love. That means remember that, that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who he didn't he didn't just make everything we see he did <laughs> but he also made made everything that we don't see both the physical things that are too small for us to see or too far away for us to see but he also made the spiritual and the mental so to speak the immaterial things that we don't see uh he is god you know he is the creator this is this is pretty basic for a a uh, you know a biblical understanding of who God is and our relation to Him, and that God, the one that met, made everything, which means everything depends on God to exist, right? In the sense that without God's 
creation and sustaining us we it's not it's not just a matter of dying we just we just aren't <laughs> we 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 would cease to be if if god had not provided us and and continued to provide us with existence um we can't even really think about you know nothingness like what it means to not be dependent on god for for being because there just there there is no being there is no being besides god so anyway but if god is love then we can kind of connect these logical dots here that means that every, the existence of reality the universe the cosmos creation everything is dependent on love and love defined as the New Testament, as the Bible defines it. Love defined in the context of the God who is love. Not love defined a priori how I feel like, oh, I think love means doing this. And, oh, well, that's what God is. You know, Love is not God. God is love. And, and love understood in the way that, you know, Think about John is writing First John. John is the one who writes God is love. How does John understand God's love? Well, going back to John 3.16 again, he understands it in the context of the triune God's redemptive work in history, right? That's, that's how we understand what love is and what it means for God to be love. And then we bring back, you know, circle back to 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, the descriptions of what love is match up with, what we see God being because God is love, but also we understand why nothing like, I don't, I don't think that this is necessarily what Paul meant, but it, it kind of, it works pretty well rhetorically. If I move mountains, if I um, speak in the tongue, the tongues of, of, of angels, if I give away all my possessions, blah, 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 but do not have love. I am nothing. And, it, and quite literally, without love, God sustaining us, without God's uh, triune love overflowing into creation and, and, and uh, redemption and our relationship to him being grafted into Christ through the power of the Spirit, we cease to exist. We don't, it, there, there is no anything. <laughs> There is nothing. So, so yeah, without love, I am nothing in, in the most like foundational sense that you can imagine. Um, and like I said, I'm probably bending Paul's words a little bit beyond what they're, what they're meant to communicate originally, but I think it's true, you know, and that's my, that's my bold claim as to why, um, why love is not only everything for Paul when it comes to these giftings and the exercise exercise of these giftings, um, but it's also it's why love can be said to to never end. It's why love is the greatest out of out of these three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Right, and and uh, it's why love is what it is for Paul. In the context of his letter to the Corinthians, um, it's not limited to 1 Corinthians 13. It's not limited to Paul. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I, you know, would go so far as to say pretty clear from, from a reading of, of Scripture as a whole. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that that is why, you know, it, why we, like, 
we stand to lose so much in terms of the way that we interact with each other, the way that we interact with the world, the way that we interact with those in our in our uh, social circles, in our workplace, our schools, our communities, our churches, the way we interact with those who are we who we are connected to um, through communication, technology, and social media, the way that we present a witness to the world through our actions and words, whether we're intentionally, you know, uh, trying to witness or not, obviously like our reputation will go before us as, as a church, as, as a, as a group, as individuals. Um, we, we stand to lose a lot, uh, by neglecting first Corinthians 13 and passages like it. And I, and I think that we, we, we also stand to lose even more like not, not to, not, not, I don't say that to diminish that side of the conversation, but to say the reason so much hinges on the way that we successfully or unsuccessfully love others, the way that Christ loves is because love is so central to everything. Love is the foundation of everything, and that's not a way to get around God. You know, some you know kind of hippy dippy. Oh, love, everything's love, man. No, it's they're re- like they're right. Everything is love, but the reason that that's true is because of who God is and who God has made us to be, and what God has has made everything, <laughs> and the way that He's decided to to make it. Um, and I think that that you know highlights the that you know, very zoomed out universal picture hi- highlights and kind of focuses for me at least i think the much more particular and specific ways in which i am failing to love my neighbor as myself the way the ways that i am not patient and kind and and not boastful and rejoicing in right in in righteousness and and refusing to rejoice in evil the ways that i fail to to instantiate that love that is mine through christ by the spirit is really a i mean if you haven't gotten it by the way we've been speaking it's a big deal right so <laughs> um and i think that that is I don't know. It's an interesting for me, at least. It's it's sort of a different way than I tend to think about love. Um, when I'm thinking about like, oh, you know, you should love your neighbor. Oh, what does it mean to be loving? To act in a loving way? Like, there, there's it goes a lot deeper than just the things that we know to be like the right thing to do, right? right. And and the effects of it, both both the effects of the positive effects of of growing in that love, as well as the dangerous effects of of not growing in that love are very far reaching and have very deep roots Mm. as well, because it goes to the core of what it means to be a person who's living is to, is to be rooted in this love, whether you choose to accept that or not, and whether you choose to give that out to others or not. Um, And I just think, I think that it's a, you know, I don't think it's unique to our time or place, but I think it is true that, we, we probably should have, you know, everyone should probably have these verses, you know, plastered on their forehead uh, <laughs> so that tattoos. they can wake up every morning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, if if, uh, if that's a little out there. If you got pushback, or also just um, other other things that that might bring up for you, or just you know th- things to to continue with that. But but I think that I think that you're absolutely right. Like we we do kind of stand to lose everything yeah. by failing. You know, it, it it seems obvious, but 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 maybe it's not. Like when Christians fail to love well, um, there there's a lot that's at risk. Yeah, and I mean to that to that point. I th- this might be a little bit uh, out there, spicy, and uh, you know, if you're if you're gonna disagree with me, that's totally fine. And this is not to diminish marital love. It's not to diminish marriage. Like I understand how difficult it is to love your spouse. I mean, I am a husband who's who's married to a wife, and I I recognize the ways in which I'm not selfless, the ways that I'm not kind. Um, and I think of like Ephesians 5, again, where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, that's a, that's, I, I remember reading that. And that was a pretty bold, a pretty bold thing. I mean, husbands, love, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Um, you know, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. Like, those are pretty strong words, but I would almost, care to venture that love for neighbor is more important than love for spouse. And again, that's not to minimize marriage, but to maximize how important it is to love our neighbors. I mean, it's as hard as marital love is. um, We, the people that we know and are most close to, it's pretty easy to love, at least in a general sense, to have some sort of affection or desire to do things for this person. Um, but like when, when Jesus's disciples ask, you know, who is my neighbor? Or when the Pharisees ask, I forget who asks, like, who, who is my neighbor? Um, I mean, do, do not even people who don't even love the Lord, people who are just, you know, living out, out in the world, don't, don't love Jesus. Like, even they love their family members. Even they give good gifts. Even they do things out of a general kindness. Uh, and so as the church, man, lo- yeah, yes, love your spouse. Love your children. But love your neighbor even more. Go that extra like above and beyond to care for people who um, maybe aren't cared for. Maybe they don't have family that loves them. Maybe they don't have uh, many people around them. Um, because as as Lucas said, we stand to lose a lot. Our our witness uh, as the church suffers greatly when we don't love well. Um, you know, you can have some sort of superficial like I'm gonna stand up for my boy because I don't want him. You know, I don't want his name dragged through the mud or something. Um, but man, what does it look like when we radically love those that we disagree with? When we can go across the aisle. Uh, and have conversations and relationships and not have it be something that causes us anger and um, results in division. And I, I, you know, I think of even uh, denominations that have split over whatever schism. Um, Sometimes those things are necessary. I recognize that. But how much, uh, how many divides have we caused simply because we weren't willing to love in this way, to, to love like Paul calls us to love in 1 Corinthians. So I don't know, maybe you have pushback on that. I know, obviously, in our modern evangelical uh, Christian culture, marriage is sort of this high pedestaled ideal that, you know, we strive after. And, and obviously, it's important. It's a, it's a reflection of 
the the love that Christ has for his body. Um, but, you know, Paul, Jesus, John, all the authors of the New Testament talk a lot more often about love for neighbor than love for spouse. So there, there there's at least something there. So you can either take it or leave it, but I think you should probably take it just in case. Yeah. No, I mean, I, th- I, I, I'll take it. I don't think, um, maybe we don't, you know, maybe we don't need to say if we're, you know, if we want to be picky that, um, any, any, uh, specific example of love is more important than another. But, but I think like, that's not really what you were saying. (laughs) Um, so I think that that's, that gets, that gets at the core of, of the fact that we are people who we love because he first loved us. And, and that is really, um, as corny as it can sound and as sort of like muddled and diluted as it can be because of, um, the way that, you know, people in different cultural moments and movements and, and the way that words get used, uh, it can sound kind of like, uh, whatever, but love really is all you need. <laughs> love really is the, the, uh, the, the core, you know, affirmation and, and truth of what it means to be a Christian. And it's not, it, it's not, um, that there isn't more to say about what that means. But at the end of the day, we're never really getting beyond the God who is love and has loved us and by that love has made us alive in him, right? And I that that extends universally, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 like you said, that extends to all people. Obviously, it extends to all uh, times and situations. We don't we don't get to take a day off from being people who are called to love uh and that's once again not not to beat a dead horse but just to kind of maybe land the plane um kind of back where we started that's what paul's talking about he's talking about what it means for uh the christians who he is writing to to love each other uh and to love the world the way that god has called them to which is which is uh the way that he writes in in chapter 13 uh, you know, First Corinthians. So I think I think that's a good way to to wrap up what I've got to contribute. And agreed. Yeah. Go, and I you know. the the only other thing I'll say, and I don't I can't remember if I said this or not. I think I alluded to it. But again, Paul was writing this to churches. It it, it obviously extends to to the Christian love for those outside. Uh, but Paul was writing about love to towards your brothers and sisters. So he recognizes that this is something that we do not do well. Uh, and we should strive to do it better. And so, yeah, my, my challenge to you is this. First of all, listen to the Beatles, All You Need Is Love, because that obviously all you need is love, right? But seriously, read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 right now. I don't know what, who you are. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you know what time it is, whatever. But s- stop what you're doing. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Read the whole thing if you have time. Um, but specifically right here as we close, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13 as our, our outro prayer. So let's let's begin with verse 13, or sorry, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will uh, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm doing the outro. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Thank you for listening to any episode. I love checking in every every so often to see how the how the how the show's still doing. And it's it's going right right uh right there at its great normal speed so we want to say thank you for listening to this episode or any other episode of the doxology podcast if you'd like to connect with us if you want to tell us we're wrong in some of the more outlandish things we've said uh feel free to let us know on twitter or instagram at doxology podcast uh you're always welcome to email us at doxology podcast at gmail.com send us your questions send us your feedback please send us episode ideas. Lucas and I are often like, uh, what do we want to talk about? So we want to hear ideas from you. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, be nice and also be nice scene. Don't be a crazy heretic. But anyway, until next time, peace. See ya. See ya.